Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. A few of you look like you maybe uh, missed a little sleep last night, but I'm glad you're here. It sure would have been easier to say, hey, how am I going to catch up on that extra hour? I know, I'll, uh, I'll miss church, but you're here this morning. It's great to see you. We're excited about the different things God is doing. Easter is coming, and uh, we at Easter are going to have baptisms. If you've never been baptized, uh, following your trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, what a great day it would be to be baptized on Easter as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Continuing on in the book of Colossians, we'll be in verses 20 through 23 of chapter 1 this morning. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that as Almighty God, you love us and desire to have relationship with us. Lord, we thank you that we can be reconciled, our relationship restored through the work of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Relationships are difficult. We've all had difficult times in our relationships, and it's so hard when a relationship is broken or severed or strained. But it's beautiful when reconciliation takes place and the relationship is restored. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, Paul shares about what is needed for reconciliation in our most important relationship in our lives. Our relationship with God Himself. Follow along as I read Colossians beginning, chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. It says this, And by Him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'd like to begin with a little bit of an introduction, looking at some different words that are associated with salvation, some key words. To better understand something, it's helpful to look at key words that describe what that is. John MacArthur in his commentary on Colossians shares five key words that help us better understand salvation. That word that we use a lot, salvation, and uh, may think, well, that's a church word, but uh, what does it mean to have salvation. These five key words, so I'll summarize what they are. The first word, justification, means declared righteous. A way to remember the term justification is the saying, just as if I never sinned. We're declared righteous by God. Not because of our actions, but because of His declaration. Second word is the word redemption. Redemption simply means that we are granted freedom. It's a term used with prisoners or slaves who were set free. They're no longer under the bondage of the prison or the slavery. And we are no longer under the bondage of sin. 
We sang about that this morning. We're no longer a slave to sin. Instead, we can be a child of God. Romans 6, 22 and 23 says, But now having been set free from sin, being redeemed, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That redemption that we have in Christ provides eternal life. The third word is the word forgiveness. Our debt is paid and forgotten. The the debt of our sin is death, but through Jesus Christ, God has offered us forgiveness. Ephesians 1 verse 7, connecting the terms redemption and forgiveness, says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. In Psalms, the psalmist says that our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. It's a very interesting way of looking at it. If you think about it, why didn't God use north and south? Well, I can go north and eventually go south. Once I hit the North Pole, it's south. But if I go east, I can continue going east and never go west. You know, I can get to Townsend going west. It'll just take me a little longer than if I determined to take the east route. I'd suggest the east route if I were you. But God separates our sins to that extent. Our debt is paid. Our sins are forgiven. A fourth term is the term adoption. We're brought into the family of God. God adopts us into His family with the rights and privileges of a family member. As most of you know, we adopted one of our children. And it was very interesting because in the mail, we got a new birth certificate that had her new name. She was adopted. She is part of our family. In the Roman adoption system is very interesting. Several several parts were involved in the adoption. The adoption when if they had any debts, they were wiped out. We see also that that name was given and it was permanently given and they were guaranteed the inheritance with the rest of the children. In our adoption as children of God, we are permanently placed in His family. We have a new name. Our debts are forgiven. Our inheritance is secure in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17 says this For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. As adopted children, we have that new name. We are children of God. And with that, we are heirs. We have an inheritance in Christ. And the fifth word that we could associate as a key word in salvation is the word reconciliation. That means that we're changed from an enemy to a friend. Our relationship with God is restored. 
Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We were enemies, but we're reconciled. In our passage this morning here in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, in writing to those people in Colossae and also to us, focuses on this word reconciliation. And so we're going to spend a little time this morning looking at the the meaning and the result of this word in our lives. The meaning of reconciliation. Again, the term means to change. Verse 21 tells us that we are alienated from God because of our sin. We are separated from God. Our sin separates us from Him. We are, we are because of our sin, we are separated from a holy God. But God desires to restore that relationship, to reconcile. And it's a one-sided process. Reconciliation is only possible through Christ. It's all because of Him. Now, if you have a a strained or a broken relationship with, with someone else, to have that relationship restored usually takes action on both parties. Usually some confession needs to take place and some forgiveness. Some changing of actions and attitudes towards the other person. And and both people are involved in it, but reconciliation only takes place through the work of Jesus Christ. It's impossible without Him. On our own, we cannot reconcile ourselves to God. Christ's work provides our our reconciliation. Our relationship with God is restored. But he also talks about the scope of reconciliation. In verse 20, he says that God reconciles all things to Himself. Because of sin, all creation is affected. Genesis 3, in describing the curse, shares how that curse not only affected Adam and Eve in their relationship with God, the serpent, and ultimately Satan's relationship with God, but all of creation's relationship with God is affected because of sin. The second law of thermodynamics. If you remember from freshman or sophomore science class, For some of us, that was a little while ago. Things fall apart. The curse of sin. Mosquitoes bite. Bees sting. Because of the curse of sin. All of creation is affected because of sin, but God can reconcile all things to Himself. Romans chapter 8 Verses 20 through 22 says this For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together 
until now. Some of you maybe felt that things that took place on uh, Thursday and Friday were uh, maybe you felt like cursing. The nice, beautiful March, warm, encouraging weather. The curse. But God will reconcile all things to himself. And when Christ returns, one of the results of his return will be the restoration of creation. Do you remember the familiar Christmas carol, Joy to the World? I'm certain you remember that carol, and I'm going to ruin it for you. Joy to the World really is not talking about Jesus Christ coming as a little baby in a manger. The focus of the song is actually the return of Christ. And if you listen carefully to the words, you see, it, it's not a, a song about Jesus coming to die for our sins. It's a song about Jesus coming to restore, to reconcile. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. It's when Jesus comes back as King. Not when Jesus came as a little baby to be the substitute for our sins. And see, it works well. This week we had snow, so we're talking about a Christmas carol, right? But think about it, if you go to, go to, and I don't remember which verse it is, but think about the verse that says this, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. The curse of, crea- the curse of sin on creation was this, that when you go out into your garden, the weeds seem to grow better than the plants you're trying to grow. Part of the curse. But no more let weeds infest the ground. He, Christ, comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Jesus Christ will come again and restore, will reconcile all things to Himself. But Paul also writes, not only from the, create, from the reconciliation of all things to himself, but also a more specific reconciliation in verse 21. It begins, and you, then it goes on and says, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. We were, el- we were alienated, we're enemies in our mind because of sin, the wicked works that we do, but He has reconciled. Our reconciliation is made possible only through Christ. It's interesting in verse 20, not once, but twice it says, by Him. And what does this reconciliation do? This restoration of a relationship. He goes on in verse 22 and says, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. God sees us as righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. 
if we accept that forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ, we are justified. We're declared righteous. We're redeemed. We are forgiven. We're adopted. We're reconciled through Christ. That term holy, it says that we're holy, blameless, and above reproach. The term holy is the idea of being separated from sin and set apart to God. Blameless without blemish. They would talk about a term like that when they're talking about the sacrifices that they would bring. It had to be a a sacrifice that was blameless. It was without blemish. And we are seen as without blemish because our sins are forgiven. And then above reproach. It reminds us that because of Jesus Christ, no one can bring a charge against us. Satan desires to bring the charge against us, to, to have us convicted. But through Jesus Christ, we are considered above reproach. No charge can be made because our sins are forgiven. They're separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And then we also see the means of reconciliation. Jesus Christ is the means. Verse 20, and again mentioned it earlier, twice in this verse 20, in verse 20 it says, by Him all things are reconciled. By Him. The sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us provides the restoration of our relationship with God. Verse 20 tells us that it is by His blood. Verse 22 shares that it is through His death. You see, Jesus Christ came to this world not just to be a good teacher or so that we can celebrate Christmas. Jesus Christ came to this world to die for our sins. The only payment that is able to cover the cost of our sins is a payment that Jesus Christ made as He gave His life and rose again on our behalf. Jesus Christ is the means. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-21, through 21, in many ways a parallel passage, says this, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God who is in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing or putting on their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading Through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God sent Jesus Christ the perfect, the blameless sacrifice. The sacrifice without blemish. The One who knew no sin. To be sin for us. To take upon Himself our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. However, man in our foolish wisdom has determined other ways to attempt to restore the relationship 
with God. And, and if you break them down, they, can, they really come into three basic categories. Category one is being good. You know, I, I just have to work hard. I'm a pretty good person. Category number two is being religious. Category number three is being sincere. Let's break them down just a little bit. Being good. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, yeah, God's going to look at me and I'm a pretty good person. Or, yeah, you know, I'm better than my neighbor. So I'll make it in. They probably won't, but I will. That's a pretty sad statement if you really think about that statement. But that's sometimes what we think. But it's interesting, Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 says that all of our righteousness, the best that we have, are as filthy rags. They are garbage before a holy God. Now, many of you have, uh, have gone through the love languages. How, how many of you have, have studied at least to some extent the five love languages? Gary Chapman is the one who, who has done that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of you have. And, and I know like when premarital counseling, we, we, I'll go through some of that with, with people to be able to understand how they demonstrate love to each other in a, in a marriage relationship, but it happens in friendships or whatever. And it's ways that we like to accept love as well as give love. Now, if you're familiar, there, there's five different ones that Gary Chapman, that he, uh, he lays out. My strongest love language is acts of service. So if I have... A problem with my wife. We've been married 31 years, so I think twice we've had a, an issue or more. But here's what happens if I have done something that has hurt my wife, what do I do? I start doing the dishes, I clean the living room. I do all of these things to, to try to show her that I'm sorry, that I love her. But what does she need? She needs me to go to her and say, I'm sorry. I've hurt you. Will you forgive me? And until that takes place, that relationship is not restored. Now we have a very clean kitchen and living room. <laughs> but the relationship is not restored. Our relationship with God. What is our requirement? To recognize our sin put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ because it's His work and His alone that provides the payment for our sin. And Jesus Christ, the perfect partner, the Holy God, forgives 
and we can have salvation. Being good, no matter how good you try to be, no matter how many good deeds that you perform, you can't meet the standard of perfection that's required for the forgiveness of sins. But you go out on the street and you say, ask the question, do you think you're going to heaven? Majority of people say, oh, I, I think so. Well, why? What's their answer? I'm a pretty good person. I haven't murdered anybody. Thought about it a few times, haven't done it. I'm a pretty good person. Being good doesn't meet the standard. The second, being religious. Being religious does not work. We're called to be in relationship with God. It's not about performing religious duties. Now, I'm glad you're here this morning, but you could go to church every Sunday and you could go multiple times a week. That doesn't change the relationship. You look at the people in Jesus' day as He walked this earth when He came to die for our sins. The, the people that were considered the most religious people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus talked to them and about them a lot about their failure to meet God's standard even though they were incredibly religious. It's not about a religion, it's about a relationship that can only be reconciled through Jesus Christ. The third one, by being sincere. And, and we think, you know, no matter what you think and believe, as long as you're sincere... God will understand. I mean, isn't God a God of love? Yes, He is. God is love. But God is also a holy God. And sin separates us from a holy God. And there's only one way to have that relationship restored. Jesus Christ in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ speaking. He is the only way. He is the way to salvation. So if you're here this morning and you're trying to just do good deeds to earn your way to heaven, I've got bad news. You're not going to make it. If you fulfill a bunch of religious rituals, that's not going to meet the standard that God requires. And if you say, well, it's just simply being sincere in whatever you believe, there's one specific way, and it's through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Not by being good, not by being religious, not by being sincere, but by being forgiven. And if you're attempting to 
find that relationship with God in any other way than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have no hope. But isn't it exciting that God's word says that we do have hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. And we see in verse 23 the result of reconciliation. Continuing in the faith is the result of Christ's work in our life. Verse 23 says, If you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now this verse can be confusing. Some people take it to mean that that Christ saves us, but then we need to work in order to keep that salvation. I mean, doesn't it say, if you continue in the faith? Well, that's not what it's saying. That word, if, can lead us astray. It can also help us understand what God is talking about. That word if can demonstrate a genuineness of something. Continuing in the faith and hope proves that a person has their faith in Christ. You see, trusting Jesus Christ is not just saying a a group of words. It's putting my faith in Him. And it says, if you are grounded and steadfast, built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, you will continue in the faith. Nothing will move you. You will not be perfect because we are still sinners saved by God's grace. But we have the foundation of Christ and our life is different. We're transformed in Jesus Christ. One day we will be perfected. At this point, we are a new creature. We will live differently. The emphasis isn't on our work. The emphasis is on the faith and the hope that are mentioned here in verse 23. The faith is the truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ. The hope is the promise of salvation through Him. Salvation is fully the work of Christ. It's not based on our ability. God says that when we put our faith in Him, that He holds us with an unbreakable grip. I love what it says in John 10, verses 27 and following, and Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and no one is able to take them out of My hand. My Father which gave them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to take them out of His hand. It's like Jesus has us in an unbreakable grip of an all-powerful Son of God, but not only that, but we have the grip of God the Father, another all-powerful, unbreakable grip that holds us in Him. If you really think about it, it's foolish to think that that Jesus saves us, but we're required to keep that salvation. But it does say we need to check ourselves as you save your Lord of your life. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14 says this, In Him you also trusted. That's in Jesus. You also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed that faith, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God gave you the Holy Spirit as a seal who is the guarantee. You ever have a guarantee on a product? What's the only, or what is the big issue with a guarantee? The person who is guaranteeing. Guess who is the guarantor 
of our salvation. It is God given through the sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance, that hope, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. You see, our faith will change the way we live. We can think of it this way. Here's what Paul is saying in verse 23. Real faith leads to real results. Real results become the gauge of real faith. Reconciliation is the work of God through Jesus Christ. Because of sin, our relationship with a holy God has been severed. But through Jesus Christ, it can be restored. We call that salvation. We're justified. We're declared righteous. We're like that prisoner or that slave that's been set free. We are forgiven. Our debt is paid. We are adopted. We are brought from bondage of sin into the family of God. Our name is changed. Our inheritance is secure. We are reconciled. And that's what Paul is speaking about in these verses. And as we close this morning, whether you're here in this room or watching online, I want to encourage you to examine your heart, your life. Has there been a time in your life when you have prayed and asked Jesus Christ in believing Him You've prayed and asked for Him to forgive your sins, to be your Savior, to be your Lord. If you have not, no matter how many good deeds you try to do, if you have not, no matter how religious you are, if not, no matter how sincere you may be, you are without hope. But Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for your sins. As we, before we sing our final song, I want to give you an opportunity to come and to talk to someone this morning who can share from God's Word how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're on your way to heaven. Now, this is going to be very simple. I'm just going to ask everyone to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Would you please do that right now, just honoring the privacy of others and also being able to focus on your own relationship with Jesus Christ. If you say, you know, John, I have never trusted Christ, but I'd like to talk to someone about that this morning. I just want you to quietly get out of your seat and come to the front and we'll have someone that'll take you and show you how you can have the hope that's provided through Jesus Christ. We're just going to take a moment. Father, we do thank you that in Jesus Christ we can have hope. 
Lord, I thank you for my salvation that as a sinner, I could come to you and ask you to forgive my sins, to be my Savior and Lord, and my hope is in you. Lord, for anyone in this room who has not come to that point in their life, I pray that today they would make that decision to put their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.